Today's scripture is the chapter of 39 in Genesis. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as, he, as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he, lift, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. 
The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol. Excellent, excellent job. Can anybody tell that Carol has grandchildren? Did you catch the little voices and the inflections and stuff? It's perfect. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Disciples Church. It is great to see you, and we're so glad that you've joined us in worship today. My name is Dave Hahn, and I am one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and it is always my joy and privilege to be able to open God's word with and for you. My wife, Sheila, and I, Sheila's not here, she's up in nursery. My wife, Sheila, and I have been married for nearly 24 years, and perhaps the most challenging and most difficult season that we have had in all of those years was in 2020 and 2021, not because of COVID. In late 2019, Sheila got a call back from her radiologist because they did not like what they saw in her most recent mammogram, and they wanted to take another look. Now, it's a call that many women get, and I would bet that it is at least a little scary every time. It certainly was for us. That second look became a biopsy, which became a recommendation for preventative surgery. Preventative surgery became a lumpectomy, and a lumpectomy became a double mastectomy. Five surgeries altogether. So in a very real way, like Joseph, we found ourselves in a pit, metaphorically speaking. We were in a place that we did not expect to be or in a place that we wanted to be. It all happened very, very fast. And with each surprising new turn, our faith in God and our trust in him were challenged. Like Joseph, we had a choice to lean into God in a way that we never had before or to respond in either anger, despondency, or fear because of where we were and what was happening. Like Joseph, Sheila and I and Seth had to decide if we were going to trust, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the outcome, that God is sovereign that God blesses those who love and honor him, and that God is with us. So as we continue this morning, I want to remind you quickly of where we left off last week. In chapter 37, over the last two weeks, we learned that Joseph's brothers, jealous of him and angry at him, left him for dead in a real pit. And he was picked up out of that pit by some slave traders, And he was then brought to Egypt, where Potiphar, a high-ranking official, bought him as a slave. And today, we'll be actually looking at some of the details surrounding those 11 years, what it was that they were like, and see undeniable evidence that God is sovereign. God does bless those who love and honor him, and God is absolutely with us. So to touch on all three of these truths, we're going to jump around within the 23 verses, not kind of follow it line by line, but I think that it will make sense. We'll find out at the end, right? First, where do we see the sovereignty of God in these passages? As Jonathan pointed out last week, 
The sovereign hand of God led Joseph into the hands of his brothers. That he didn't just happen upon them. And all of his brothers, except Reuben, had conspired to kill him. Thrown into a pit and sold into slavery in Egypt, Joseph appeared to be in a terrible situation. And yet, according to verse 3, he was successful. My friends, be encouraged. God has an eternal plan that will not be thwarted by man's most evil schemes or deeds. And the success that God intends for us and others is dependent upon him alone. No one and nothing will get in his way. So nothing unusual was happening to Joseph. God didn't need to hatch a new plan to rescue, redeem, or bless Joseph because of what his brothers had done. Rather, this is exactly what God had in mind for him. And we will look at the continued evidence of that claim and all the wise surrounding God's plan for Joseph in these next few weeks. But let me ask you this. Does it shock you? Does it shock you to think that God put Joseph into slavery in a foreign land? That God did that? Yes, Joseph was thrown into a pit. Yes, Joseph was sold as a slave. And yes, he was in a land that was not his own, but it was God who put him there. Not only as a slave, but as the slave in the highest ranking official's home. Disciples Church, as children of God through faith in Christ, we must remember that all of our lives are his And all that happens to us, whether we deem it good or whether we deem it bad, is part of his plan for our good and for his glory. Oh my gosh, that we would absolutely and actually believe that. Oh, if we would believe that. And though Joseph found himself in circumstances that none of us nor anyone else would choose, He appears, as you read it, to have trusted and rested in God's sovereignty. Believing that God's plan, even if he did not understand it completely, was better than his own. Listen to how one commentator says it. Though changed in condition, Joseph was not changed in spirit. Though stripped of the gaudy coat that had adorned his person, he had not lost the moral graces that distinguished his character. Though separated from his father on earth, he still lived in communion with his father in heaven. Though in the house of an idolater, he continued to be a worshiper of the true God. My friends, we, we all, all of us, imagine that our lives will go a certain way. Maybe it's a house that we want, maybe it's a job that we would love to have, maybe it's money that we would like to make, a relationship that we hope to enter into, whether it be spouses or kids, or a healthy life to enjoy. And as we all know by now, sometimes things go the way that we hope they will, and sometimes they don't. But irregardless of the outcome, here is what we often miss, I think. That it is God who gives, and it is God who takes away. It is God who gives, 
and it's God who takes away. And we are either prone to forget that or maybe even more simply, we just don't believe it. We just don't believe it. And in doing so, we tend to look for someone or something else to give credit to or to blame for wherever it is that we are. But my friends, we don't lose or gain houses, jobs, relationships, health, or whatever else we may hope for because of someone or something else. We lose them because God, the author of all things, has something else in mind according to our ultimate and eternal good, according to his plan, and according to his glory. And even when we try to control things and get in the way, and we do, God's good plan remains steady and unchanged. Similarly, when things actually do go the way that we would like them to, it is not because we have earned it or deserved it. Rather, it is because God in his grace and sovereign plan has decided and caused it to be so. Once again, for our eternal good, for the good of others, and for ultimately his glory. Disciples Church, God's desire and ability to bless us and to use us is not dependent upon ideal situations or circumstances. And what God is calling us to is a faith that believes that he is able to bless us and he is able to use us in spite of those things. And the longer and the harder that we kick against those ideas, the more that our faith will falter because things aren't going the way that we think they should and the more difficult and disappointing our lives will become as a result. Because, my friends, all that we can control in this life is how we respond to whatever God has put in front of us. That is all that we can control. Joseph decided to trust God and to serve and love God and to serve others in spite of his circumstances. And blessings beyond what he could have imagined came to him and to those that God put around him. So, God is sovereign and God blesses those who love and honor him. So, as I mentioned earlier, we know from future texts in Genesis that Joseph spent 11 years in Potiphar's home from the ages of 17 to 28 years old and then two more years in prison before Pharaoh ultimately began using him to interpret dreams and to take charge of his own house and all of Egypt. And inside of those 11 years with Potiphar, through putting his trust in God, Working as unto God and being available to God, God revealed himself to Potiphar in and through Joseph and blessed Potiphar because of him. And when Joseph was thrown in prison on false charges, the exact same thing happened. God blessed Joseph and caused him to find favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison just as he had with Potiphar. Now, the language 
surrounding what God did on behalf of Joseph in these 23 verses, I think, is so revealing. As it relates to Potiphar, we read in verses 3 and 4, listen, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands, so Joseph found favor in his sight. As it relates to the keeper of the prison, we read in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So in these three verses, what does the Bible say initiated and was ultimately responsible for the success and the favor that Joseph found in the eyes of Potiphar and the jailer? Does Joseph get credit in these verses or does God? Friends, wherever it is that we find goodness in our lives, we find evidence of God's grace on us and on others. Wherever we find goodness, And while it is somewhat obvious how Joseph was blessed by God, I think it is slightly less obvious how God blessed Potiphar and the prison keeper because of Joseph. We have to look at that a little bit. Joseph certainly was blessed in that as a slave, he was given charge and responsibility over everything that Potiphar possessed, and he was successful in all that he did. Potiphar, on the other hand, was blessed in that Joseph's success was also his success. According to verse 5, God blessed Potiphar's house, field, and all that he had. And because of Joseph, according to verse 6, Potiphar had no concern about anything except for getting fed. No worries or concerns about anything except for what your next meal is going to be. I will sign up for that blessing. (laughs) Now, the prison keeper was blessed in a similar way. Verse 22 says that whatever was done there, this is speaking of the prison, he, Joseph, was the one who did it. So in Joseph, the prison keeper was given a trusted leader, which likely meant less personal responsibility or certainly help in that responsibility and ultimately less concern over the daily prison tasks. Who wishes they had coworkers like that? As some commentators have noted, whether or not Joseph or his superiors realized it at the time, between his 11 years running Potiphar's house and the two years that he ran the prison, Joseph was getting a master class on how to run a country. And those skills would prove to be very, very useful in just a little while. Oftentimes, my friends, we have to think of this, Oftentimes, my friends, it is only in hindsight that we are able to see how God used a situation that he put us in to further bless us, equip us, and to bless others. Do you really believe that Joseph knew what he was being prepared for? So, be faithful with where God has you right now and look for ways to be a blessing to others. Be faithful with wherever it is that God has you, and look for ways to bless others. Joseph, 
And those who were connected to him were certainly blessed, and it, was, it is clear to us who blessed them. But the question remains, why did God bless Joseph as he did? Why him above all other slaves? Why him above all other brothers? Well, I would argue that Joseph was blessed as he was because he understood that his greatest blessing was God. He understood that his greatest blessing was God. And he routinely demonstrated that understanding, not only through what he did, but through what he did not do. So, one of history's greatest tales, I think, of temptation and how to handle it is in the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And what we learn in that story, at the very least, is this. When, not if, temptation comes our way, the best course of action is to run away and to stay away from that which tempts us and to run to God. Run away and stay away from that which tempts you and run unto God. And the sooner that we all learn and apply the truth of that principle, the better off that we'll be. Disciples Church, we need to pay attention to that still small voice and that prodding inside us that makes us uncomfortable with where we are, with what we are saying, and with what we're doing. You know that prodding. And we need to pay attention because that voice is God's voice. And he is giving us an escape route from where we are unto him. God has promised us, my friends, that he will always give us a way out of temptation. Do you know that? He will give us a way out of temptation just as he did with Joseph. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, listen, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And speaking personally and speaking vulnerably, there have been way too many times in my life where I found myself where I should not be doing or saying something that I knew I shouldn't be doing or saying. And unfortunately, I did not run. As most of us know by now, Satan knows our individual weaknesses. And he looks for opportunities, and he is willing to play the long game especially if it means that we fall in temptation and sin against God. In the case of Joseph, his temptation began with the temptation of Potiphar's wife. It is possible, maybe even likely, that Potiphar, due to his status in the Egyptian kingdom, was a eunuch, which means, for the sake of the kids, that he was no longer capable of satisfying his wife in a physical way sense. Therefore, assuming that is true, it is also possible that his wife would have looked elsewhere for intimacy with men. Add to that 
the fact that verse 6 says that Joseph was a good-looking dude and he was frequently in her presence and you have all the ingredients for temptation and sin. So friends, the, the best way to avoid temptation is to recognize where you are blind or weak to it. To recognize what tempts you personally and to be vigilant in steering clear of it. Meaning, if you are finding yourself feeling lonely or unappreciated, be careful hanging around attractive and attentive people. If you can't walk into a restaurant or a bar without making bad decisions, don't walk in at all. If you can't turn on your phone or your computer without navigating to a website you shouldn't be on, block those pages or throw those devices away. You get the idea. As John Owen said it, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So verse 10 says that day after day, Potiphar's wife would try to seduce Joseph. That is 11 years or 4,000 plus days of Potiphar's wife pursuing him, and somehow Joseph resisted. And in verses 8 and 9, we find four reasons that Joseph gave for his refusal. And there, I think, is much to be learned from his example. First, Joseph understood who he was responsible to and what he was responsible for. Saying in verse eight, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. So Joseph had such respect for the position he was given, and for the trust that Potiphar put in him, and he had such appreciation for what it was that he stood to lose, including, by the way, his own life, that he refused Potiphar's wife's advances. Second, Joseph understood who Potiphar's wife was, saying, he, being Potiphar, has not kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Here, Joseph's concern was not just that she was Potiphar's wife, but that she was not his wife. Not just that she was Potiphar's wife, but that she wasn't his wife. Meaning, even if she were not married, he had no right to sleep with her based on God's good design for sex and marriage, which leads us to the third and the fourth reason for Joseph's refusal. Third, he understood what doing such a thing would mean, saying in verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness? Adultery, meaning sexual activity between a married person and someone other than their spouse, according to the word of God, is wicked and it is sinful. But so is fornication, meaning sex with anyone outside of marriage. So it is not only wicked and sinful to sleep with someone else's spouse, it is also wicked and sinful to sleep with anyone who is not your spouse. 
My friends, sex as God has designed it, in spite of what this crazy world says, is a godly, holy, physical expression between a man and a woman who have given the whole of their lives to one another. And marriage is the covenantal relationship through which that oneness plays itself out. It is a good and godly and holy expression of intimacy and marriage is the covenant relationship through which that oneness is played out. So, to engage in the physical without also adding everything else to it through marriage is wicked and it is sinful because it betrays God's good design and intent for us. Finally, Joseph understood who he would most offend if he gave in to temptation, saying, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When we sin, and we know this, there are many injured parties, those that we have sinned against and then certainly ourselves. But the one that we most offend is God himself. And Joseph here, without knowing, is foreshadowing an idea that we find later on in Psalm 51. A psalm that David wrote after he slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband to cover it up. Saying unto God in verse 4 of Psalm 51, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Friends, when, when sin and the temptation to sin comes near, we need to remember who God is. We need to remember who we are in him and what it is that we stand to lose by giving into it. And the only way to make sin less desirable is to make something else, specifically someone else, more desirable. And there is nothing, nothing that is more lovely or desirable than God himself in Christ. So let our eyes and our affections be upon him if we want to truly be free of sin and to grow in our love for him. In the midst of hardship and enslavement and temptation, Joseph loved and honored God because God first loved and honored him. And those around Joseph, they took notice. Those around Joseph took notice of it. So Disciples Church, how we love and trust God in the midst of our circumstances and how we obey God with diligence and integrity, going about all that he has set us out to do, and how it is that we serve and love others should stand out and get the attention of those that God has put around us, not for our own glory, not for our own fame, but for his, but for his. Just as it did with Joseph in the eyes of Potiphar and the keeper of the prison. Now, some of you may know this, but in order to evaluate the value and effectiveness within their communities, there are churches and nonprofit organizations and the like who will often ask of themselves the following question. 
if we were to shut down, would anyone care or take notice? If, if we were to shut down, would anyone care or take notice? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question for Disciples Church to ask. It's a good question to ask all around, I suppose. But I think that the question is potentially more effective. It's even more effective when we make it personal. So ask yourself today, if I were to leave the place that I work or go to school, if I were to leave the place that I live or the places that I hang out, if I were to just leave this state altogether, would anyone care or notice? Like Joseph, is your life filled with such blessing through loving and honoring God that it has overflowed into the lives of those around you? Are people's lives better because you're in it and because God is in you? And that question leads us well into the third truth of today. God is with us. So as we read through these 23 verses, we learn that it was because God was with Joseph that he was a blessed and successful man. Look again at verses 2 and 3 and 5 and 21 and 23. Highlight them all. But what does it really mean to be blessed? And what does it look like for God to be with us? And as we seek the answer to those questions, do we do so as the world does or we do so as God does? Who answers that question for us? My friends, God has long and often promised that he would be with his own. And we see him fulfill that promise all throughout the Old Testament, including in the life of Joseph. But the ultimate fulfillment of his promise came 2,000 years ago as a baby born into a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was and is called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's who Jesus is. And as the greater Joseph, Jesus also was a servant and absorbed wrongs that he had not committed. Because of your sin and because of mine, Jesus Christ, though he was a son, dearly loved by his father, was cast away by his own. He was stripped of his garments and he was enslaved. Living a perfect, sinless life, he cast aside and resisted temptation, saying nothing in his defense he was falsely accused and punished. And on the cross, because of our sins, for the first, last, and only time in all of eternity, Jesus experienced the true absence and rejection of God, his Father, so that you and I would never, ever have to. So that you and I could always know that through his indwelling spirit, God is with us. In the greatest of ironies, we see the greatest injustice and horror that this world has seen and the greatest expression of servanthood and suffering in the cross of Jesus Christ. But, but, 
in that same cross and in that same sacrifice, we also see the world's greatest hope and blessing. In that, all who look and believe upon the perfect one who hung there will be saved eternally. But that's not how we would have imagined our salvation coming to us, is it? Is that how we would have drawn it up? Who could have imagined our greatest blessing coming from such an awful horror? And yet it did. Friends, do you suppose that those who stood at the foot of the cross or those who were outside Jesus' tomb thought that their Lord being killed would lead to their greatest good? Do you suppose that as they stood there looking at him hanging on the cross or carrying his lifeless body into the tomb, they thought, this is going to lead to our greatest good? Of course not. And yet? So my friends, the point of all of that is to say that no matter how difficult or disappointing our circumstances may be, the fact is that we have no idea what God is saving us from or saving us too, but we do know that he is saving us, that he is with us, and that he is for us. And those truths and his promises should radically transform how we look at any and everything that comes our way. Should radically transform it. While our flesh may not like it, I shouldn't even say may, while our flesh will not like it, Very often, it is through the most difficult of circumstances that God's good intent and plan are accomplished. I mean, isn't that what the history of the church says? If you've experienced suffering yourself, are you not able to see that truth in your own life? Friends, our our hope and our joy cannot be found in how easy or comfortable our lives are. Rather, our hope and our joy must be in the presence and the power and the promises of God. And we will never experience the true presence, power, and blessings of God so long as we continue to kick and fight against the idea of serving and suffering just as Christ did. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, We need winds and tempests to exercise our faith to tear off the rotten limbs of self-dependence and to root us more firmly in Christ. We have much to rejoice in Disciples Church because God is sovereign and he blesses those who love and honor him and he is with us always. Always. Which means that There is no situation in which we are left on our own. There is no temptation that is too great. And there is no circumstance over which God does not rule and cannot bless and use us for our good, for the good of others, and most of all, for his glory. Let's pray. Our everlasting Father, we bring you praise and thanksgiving that you are sovereign, that you have blessed us so richly, and that you promise by your Holy Spirit to be with us always. We, we could ask for nothing more 
And yet, Father, we confess that we live as though you are not enough. We have made an idol of comfort and earthly prosperity. We have sinned through our independence rather than our dependence upon you. Father, would you convict us this morning of where we have sinned, where we are tempted, and then convince us that the grace of God and the cross of Christ, as awful as it was, is and will remain our greatest joy, our greatest hope, and our truest promise. Cause us, God, to be faithful with wherever you have us now and wherever it is that you are leading us so that we might know your blessings and be a blessing unto others for your name's sake. God, give us eyes to see every circumstance in this world and in our lives as ones that you reign and rule over and then be our peace in the midst of them. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.